Hello and welcome to the March 8th Angus Beef Bulletin Extra Audio. I'm Shauna Hermel, editor, and I'll be your host this week. Let's get started. Our first article is bull selection. The options are endless. Focusing on the long-term needs of your herd will make the bull buying process much simpler by Briley Richard. American Angus Association. It's bull sale season. When it comes to selecting a herd bull, the decisions seem endless. And you can't just pick any bull. Your decision will affect your herd's profitability for years to come. During Cattlemen's College at the 2023 Cattle Industry Convention, the University of Tennessee's Troy Rowan and Charles Martinez discuss the challenges producers face when selecting a herd bull, considering the multiple factors at hand, value, long-term effect, traits to focus on, and more. It seems daunting, especially when profitability is on the line. The bull purchase is probably one of the most important decisions a herd makes. We're assigning some form of value to this bull and we're investing in him based on what we think his genetic potential is, Rowan said. What all these tools come down to is mitigating the risk that comes with a high-impact decision that's going to have a large footprint on your herd. Right or wrong, the selection decision leaves a lasting imprint. If we're keeping replacement females, this becomes a multi-generational problem if we get the decision wrong, Rowan says. On the flip side, it becomes a multi-generational way for us to become more profitable if we get the bull decision right. On sale day, everyone is trying to get the best bang for their buck. But remember, sometimes the extra investment can pay dividends, says Rowan. Spending $1,500 more can likely also mean more pounds, more productivity, and more profit. If you have the genetic potential to add 20 pounds of weaning weight per calf that bull puts on the ground, he's made up that difference really quickly, Rowan says. If we can get his daughters to six plus years old, if she's sound, if she's fertile, if she doesn't miss a calf, this is where we're really getting ourselves into the green. It's all about balance, Martinez says. Whether a producer runs cattle in South Texas or the Nebraska Sandhills, the focus has to be on the bottom line, those revenue-generating traits. There are lots of traits that matter for overall profitability, which means there are a lot of correct answers out there, Martinez says. We're always balancing the market segments, but the real question is, what traits matter to our bottom line? While the options may be endless, keeping focus on the long-term needs of your individual herd will help make the bull buying process much simpler. We're not talking about just next breeding season. We're talking about generations of breeding seasons that are in the long run, Martina says. So always think about it from a long-run perspective. Editor's note, Troy Rowan is Assistant Professor of Beef Cattle Genomics. Charles Martinez is Assistant Professor of Agricultural and Resource Economics. And again, that was with the University of Tennessee. Cattlemen's College sessions are available through the Cattlemen's College online campus. 
We provide that link in the editor's note in the article online, and you can access that on the front page of our March 8th Angus Beef Bulletin Extra. That's at www.angusbeefbulletin.com forward slash extra. All right, we're going to switch gears here and move to the marketing page for an article by Kendra Gordon, one of our field editors, with the title, Tips for Attracting a Premium at Auction. South Dakota State University Project Evaluates Factors Influencing Feeder Calf Prices. Data on 116,000 head of calves marketed at five South Dakota auction barns in fall 2021 were collected and evaluated by South Dakota State University Extension Specialist to gain better insight into the factors influencing selling prices. The project found that lot sizes of more than 100 head tended to garner the highest premiums. Additionally, premiums were generally received for steers versus heifers, black-hided calves, and calves with vaccination history. Data for this project was collected at Faith, Phillip, Hub City, or Aberdeen, Mitchell, and Fort Pierre Livestock Auction during the week of October 4th, 11th, 18th, and November 1st, 2021. Olivia Amundsen, a South Dakota State University Extension Cow-Calf Field Specialist based out of Sioux Falls Regional Center, worked with Extension colleagues Robin Salverson, Heather Gessner, Julie Walker, Kiernan Brandt, and former specialist Adele Hardy to collect the data from 24 sales. Data collected included auction barn, date, seller, identification, gender of calves, number of head per lot, average weight, hide color, vaccination data, whether calves had been creep fed, whether calves had received implants, if calves were part of a branded program, their wean status, if calves had horns, mud score, price per hundredweight, price per head, and additional comments. To maintain statistical integrity, calves weighing less than 265 pounds and those weighing more than 800 pounds were removed from the database, as were lots of one or two calves. Black and black-white face calves were combined and classified as black, and red and red-white face calves were classified as red because the analysis indicated no difference in price between solid color, black or red, and white face lots. The vaccine protocols tracked included whether calves had received a seven-way clostridial vaccine or four- and five-way respiratory vaccines. This study also compared any price difference between calves given modified live virus versus killed vaccine and saw no price premium difference between the two. Additionally, the researchers found no statistical differences in selling price for implanted cattle versus non-implanted cattle or creep-fed calves versus calves that had not been creep-fed. Overall, the SDSU Extension Specialist concluded that uniform calf lots, meaning calves of similar in type, kind, and size, in larger groups of more than 100 head generated the most robust premiums. 
Larger groups of calves may help fill a semi-trailer load and minimize the need to commingle with other calf groups or to find other calf groups to make a uniform load. The SDSU researchers theorize. When looking at lot sizes of 101 head or more, 50 to 100 head, 21 to 50 head, and 3 to 20 head, the SDSU analysis found premiums of $15.85 per hundredweight between the largest lot size and the smallest lot size. Premiums of $10 to $6 per hundredweight did still exist among calf lot groups less than 100 head, while calf groups of 20 head or fewer had minimal premiums. The SDSU research data showed black-hided cattle earned premiums of $9.75 to $34 per hundredweight compared to other colors and color combinations. Steers reaped a $19.77 per hundredweight premium compared to heifers and a $23 per hundredweight premium to bull calves. Interestingly, this SDSU research found that the fall calf run produced a premium for sale barns located west of the Missouri River in South Dakota versus that east of the river. The SDSU extension specialists suggest, due to the timeline of data collection, time of year is an important marketing consideration based on where the volume of buyers are consolidating purchasing efforts. They attribute this to the fact that during the fall calf run, western South Dakota ranchers often sell feeder calves in large lots. As a result, western South Dakota auction barns often boast higher numbers of calves for sale in the fall, which can attract more buyers at the West River sale barns. Vaccination programs also benefited sellers. Calves given a seven-way clostridial vaccine at birth and in the fall garnered a $17 per hundredweight premium versus the calves receiving only one dose. There was an $18 to $25 per hundredweight premium given for vaccinated calves versus those that were either unvaccinated or for which vaccination status was unknown at sale time. Management Suggestions For producers aiming to earn future premiums, those SDSU extension specialists suggest striving for calf crop uniformity. This is typically best achieved with a defined calving season within an 80-day window instead of across 120 days. Also, producers might consider working with neighbors or other cattlemen to coordinate selling a uniform calf group to get a better price on sale day. To make, the work, to make this work, calves from different herds should be born in the same time range and should be managed similarly for castration, dehorning, and vaccinations. Amundsen offers these perspectives gleaned from interviews with order buyers and sale barn owners. Vaccinations do matter. Amundsen suggests producers communicate vaccination history with prospective buyers and work with a sale barn that helps them convey that information. Lot size does matter. This primarily is for efficiency so buyers can build a semi-trailer load. Recognizing this, Amundsen stresses the importance of producers working with the auction market, especially for smaller scale producers. She explains, working with your sale barn can help group your calves with larger lots to make a pot load, 
Having loyalty to your auction market can be beneficial as well, she says, giving the example of trusting your sale barn to place your cattle in an order that will benefit price received, even if that means selling later in the afternoon. Regarding hide collar, Amundsen suggests pick a color and run with it. If you have a group of black calves with two or three red calves, the three colored calves will get pulled and receive a significant discount. Having one color to run through the ring reduces discounts, she explains. As for steers versus heifer, there is a spread, but it is likely this spread will be tighter this year due to a combination of things. One factor is that some producers will be holding on to heifers to rebuild their herd, so less of the front-end heifers will be coming to town to be sold, and there is a tight inventory across the state and country. To learn more about this research, you can listen to SDSU's podcast, Sale Barn Data, on Cattle HQ, Episode 17. This project was funded through the North Central Extension Risk Management Education Center with funding provided by USDA's National Institute of Food and Agriculture. The SDSU Extension team surveyed the same sale barns for four weeks in spring 2022 to collect data on backgrounded cattle. Results of that study will be forthcoming. Just a reminder, you can get a link to that SDSU podcast within the article, and that article is the one that is at the top of our marketing page at Angus Beef Bulletin Extra, and you can find that article at www.angusbeefbulletin.com forward slash extra. Let's move on to our health and nutrition page. Heather Smith Thomas shares an article with us on nutrition after calving, preparing cows for rebreeding. Travis Mullinix, beef cattle nutritionist and range production system specialist at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, reminds producers that nutrition after calving is crucial for rebreeding in order to optimize the reproductive performance of cows. We need cows to recover and rebreed within about 80 to 85 days postpartum to stay on schedule for the next year, says Mullinix. The issue we run into is that most young cows are hard-pressed to recover and start cycling by day 80. We need to focus on how we can get them cycling as early as possible so they can maintain their calving interval. Cows that cycle later may not breed in time. They may calve late the next season or come up open. This has a negative effect on longevity. The earlier the cows start cycling, the greater their opportunity to stay in the cow herd longer. He recommends having the cattle gain body weight as soon as possible after calving. Cows that lose some weight can rebound after calving to compensate and pregnancy rates increase, he says. The turnaround is surprisingly quick. Once a cow stops losing weight and starts gaining again, within 10 to 12 days she can start cycling, increasing her breeding opportunities. Mother Nature always favors the cow that's gaining rather than losing weight. Pregnancy rates in young cows are often the lowest in the herd. This could be the two-year-olds or the three-year-olds, depending on the environment they are in or how you manage your cows. 
but it is largely due to their inability to consume enough forage, he explains. The two-year-old is lactating for the first time and may be a little thin since she is still growing, so there is a lot of stress on that young cow to rebreed in a timely fashion. There may not be enough energy in her forages to meet all those needs. Mullenix says there has been a lot of research focused on shortening the postpartum interval, getting cows cycling quicker and conceiving earlier. Nutrients that aid in lactation and growth become instrumental in that process. The body prioritizes nutrient distribution. Lactation needs are ahead of body weight gain and reproduction. If we can partition nutrients away from her lactation needs, we can increase the amount of nutrients going to her body and increase her opportunity to start cycling and get bred quicker, he explains. An older study looked at pre-calving nutrition and post-calving nutrition levels. For the pre-calving cows, the researchers used two different levels. One group received a low level that didn't quite meet their needs, and another group was fed a level that met their needs for maintaining body weight. Likewise, for the post-calving cows, the researchers fed one group a low level and the other group a higher level. In cows fed low levels before and after calving, the postpartum interval in mature cows was 73 days. The low-high group, low levels before calving, high levels after calving, did better, says Mullenix. Even though nutrition level before calving was low, giving them the proper nutrients after calving decreased the postpartum interval by almost 20 days. Postpartum nutrition has a huge influence on when those cows start cycling. He says the takeaway for cattle producers is that during the late gestation they can get away with feeding nutritional levels that are not quite meeting cattle's needs if they feed enough of the right nutrients after calving to get the cows gaining body weight as soon as possible. This is especially true for the two and three year old cows that typically don't cycle as quickly as the mature cows. All right, again, that is our lead feature on our health and nutrition page in the March 8th edition of the Angus Beef Bulletin Extra. And you can find that at www.angusbeefbulletin.com forward slash extra. We'll move on here to our management article. Uh, and this one is by Sandy Johnson of Kansas State University. And it's on sire distribution of calves after fixed time day I and immediate bull exposure. And the deck on this one reads, Turning bulls out immediately after timed artificial insemination results in 5% to 20% natural service sired calves. Researchers at Kansas State University conducted a study to determine the relative percentage of calves sired by either natural service sires or fixed timed artificial insemination sires within the same estrus period. For two consecutive years, Heifers and cows were synchronized and inseminated using the 7-day CoSync plus Cedar fixed-timed AI protocol. All females were exposed to natural service bulls immediately following insemination. After calving, DNA was collected from a random subset of calves born in the first 21 days of the calving season for parentage analysis. 
calves born from heifers total 59 in year 1 and 82 in year 2. Calves born from cows totaled 89 in year 1 and 102 in year 2. In year 1, among calves born from heifers, the percentage sired by natural service was 5.1%, or 3 of 59. Among calves born from cows, the percentage sired by natural service was 14.6%, or 13 of 89. In year 2, among calves born from heifers, the percentage sired by natural service was 9.8%, 8 of 82. Among calves born from cows, the percentage sired by natural service was 20.6%, or 21 of 102. The researchers conclude, if commercial producers use fixed-time day I, followed by immediate bull exposure in beef females, they can expect natural service bulls to sire 5% to 20% of calves born early in the calving season, while reducing time and labor associated with bull turnout. That wraps up our features, lead feature stories in the March 8th Angus Beef Bulletin Extra. We hope that you'll go to the website and check out the remaining stories that are, are in the edition. Uh, and please use that search function to be able to search back issues of the Angus Beef Bulletin Extras. We have a wealth of stories there to help you get the most of your Angus genetics. This is Shauna Hermel signing off on the March 8th Angus Beef Bulletin Extra. If you have any comments or suggestions for us, please email abbeditorial at angus.org. Thank you.